Welcome to the Storytellers Live podcast, where everyday people share real and personal stories. Some are profound and challenging, while others are more common and relatable, shared with honesty and humor. But all of these stories reveal what God can do in our lives when we trust Him with the details. Thanks for joining us. Hi, everyone. This is your host, Kelly, from the Storytellers Live team. On each episode, a different woman shares her story, often in a live setting, with the bottom line being that God is good. Today, we'll hear from Dana as she shares what it's like living with someone in chronic pain. It can be challenging when you're facing a struggle that is day in and day out. Maybe it's been going on for months or even years, and it's especially challenging when there doesn't seem to be an end in sight. Dana's husband has lived with chronic migraines and health issues for a long time, and it's hard not only on him, but also on Dana and on their family. So she'll share the good, the bad, and the ugly on living through a long-lasting trial and how to find hope and joy in the middle of it. Oh my gosh, there are a lot of people. Um, I have to say it was so funny when I was thinking through people who told me they were coming and people who weren't told me they weren't going to be able to come. And I thought it's sort of like your wedding. You know where you see all your favorite people and nobody knows each other, but they're all kind of in one place. And to the people that are going to listen to the podcast, I love you and I'm sorry you're not here. But there's a lot of people that said they were going to listen or they were going to come. And... Um, I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, I got permission to say everything I'm going to say um, from my hubby. Um, I think sometimes when you start a story, um, people tend to think, gosh, like, this is pretty deep. I hope that, but he knows, he knows everything I'm going to say. And he flat out said, we are an open book. You tell whatever you want to say. So um, I'm going to start out just kind of sharing where we are, where we came from, kind of our backgrounds, and then a little bit about what my whole topic is going to be about. And then I'll fly into kind of where we are now. Um, we both grew up in Birmingham. I grew up in Vestavia. I grew right here and he grew up in Homewood I grew up with sort of the Brady Bunch family um there was there's really no story other than I'm your typical BBS girl of I accepted Christ in fifth grade and um away we went and my life was swimmingly and the hardest thing for me was you know what clubs to be in or whatever so um for Chris it was the opposite he grew up in a little bit tougher of a situation um he had a wonderful mom um he had a wonderful brother um but he had a dad that left real early um, and he had a sister that died of SIDS. So he he already kind of started just in a totally different place than I did. But he rocked it. He pressed on. He acted like nothing was going on. And he said his whole life, you know, he just skipped along. I'm the man of the house. This is what I do. Um, he had an amazing stepfather come into the picture that became really his hero. Um, and he was he was best man in our wedding, and he was dad to him. Um, but we kind of came from those backgrounds. Um, we went to Alabama. Um, I met him there, but and I saw a Bible on his bedside. He was ready. Sure, I was going to date him. No, no, no. We went out a few times, um, but I was ready. I was. I mean, I was so ready. He was the only guy I'd ever really liked in college. I dated some guys in high school, but he was the only guy I ever really liked in college. But let's just say he really didn't care about me that much. Um, and he decided he was going to be an athletic trainer. I knew at that time that I was going to teach. And he got an offer to work with the Red Sox, which was his dream. He is a huge Red Sox fan. And so it was like, we'd gone out four times. I'm thinking, like, we're already, like, dating, you know, in my eyes. He's see ya. Didn't really even say bye, just left. So that was lovely. Um, <laughs> and that's kind of where that went. So um, I knew in my heart 
all through college, I wanted to do something with ministry at some point. I didn't know what that would look like. Um, God sent me on staff with Campus Crusade for Christ, and I was at Alabama with that. Um, and I just, that whole time, I just knew, you know, okay, I'm going to marry a pastor. I'm going to marry a youth pastor. I'm going to just be in ministry forever. This is me. Chris never thought he was going to be a youth pastor. He never thought he was going to be a pastor. He was just going to work with the Red Sox forever, and that was going to be his game. Um, five years into past this, I guess. I'm here now. I'm teaching. I was teaching at Cahaba Heights. Um, I taught kindergarten and I taught third grade there. And he, at that point, had come home making $18,000 a year and was not his game. Um, he loved it so much, but it was time to come home. So he became an athletic trainer here, and he worked um, for Andrew Sports and Fitness, being an athletic trainer. And he decided you know, that was the route he was going to take. Well, we ran into each other one day at the gym. I was running, and that's, I don't know if y'all remember in the city center in Vestavia, there was a, um, there used to be Andrew Sports and Fitness. It was this little bitty thing. Well, he was working in the corner. I was running next to one of my best friends, and he comes around the corner, smooth move, and Dana Caldwell, what have you been doing? And my friend's like, don't you talk to him, because she remembered the whole story. <laughs> don't you even say what? Um, and she's just giving him daggers the whole time we're talking. <laughs> He walks off, and I'm like, I'm kind of surprised. Like, he even came up and said anything. I'm kind of surprised he remembered. He even said a word, but okay. Well, he kind of kept coming back and kept coming back and talking, and he said, some of our best friends are going to be in town tomorrow night. These are some of our mutual friends from college, and he said, let's go. They're going salsa dancing. Do you want to go? He knew I was, like, up for whatever, whenever, because that's just kind of the way I always was. Sure, and she's dying. You know, she's next to me like, you're failing this. (laughs) But I could just tell, even in those few minutes of talking to him, I could just tell, here's this sweet, genuine guy that I knew then. But there's just something really different about him. So we went salsa dancing. There was that story. Six months later, we got engaged. She was over it by that point. She was okay. Um, but that whole time, God had just totally changed his life, too. And he he accepted Christ at a young age, too. But he really worked on him. And um, at the same time, we, we were finally at that place. We were at that same place where um, we both knew the Lord was number one in our lives. So anyway, we get married. And... We're going to have two kids. We're going to have a dog. I'm going to teach until I have kids, and then I'm going to play tennis, and I'm going to be in kind of belly groups, and I'm going to lead Bible studies, and life is going to be so good. And he's going to keep being poor, being an athletic trainer, but we don't care because we're still going to do it, so we're going to do it. I'm going to stay home. Um, and I'm, before I keep going from there, that's kind of our background. Um, and what I'm kind of going to share throughout the rest of my story that I'd love for you to hear is that um, – I always thought growing up, like, I want one of those stories. I want one of those testimonies. Um, And I asked for it, and I got it. Um, Because I always had the ready much story, and I thought, this is not a story that you can share. It's a story you can share. Any story is a story you can share. So as I go into the rest of this, I just want you to know we're in the thick of it. It's raw, and it's real. Um, But this is my story, and you have a story. Um, We all have a story. And you don't have to wait to get to a point of a happy ending or a sad ending to have your story. So that's what I want you to hear throughout this whole thing. Um, It's just that that God's in it. He's in it the whole time, even when you feel like he's not. So as I move forward, I really want you to hear that throughout. I want you to hear the hope, and I want you to hear the joy when there shouldn't be. Um, Okay, so now I'm going to pick this up because there's some stuff I don't want to forget, but I'm not going to read it. Don't worry. Um, Okay, so we get married. And life is swimmingly. Things are going really well. We're into two years of marriage, and um, he starts to get just these headaches and random migraines. There's plenty of people in this world that get migraines, but we couldn't really figure it out. It was annoying. We would laugh at the doctors, and we'd say that he was allergic to me because he never got sick until he married me. Um, 
But he started to get sick with that. And then I was having, having some of my own issues. So I went to the doctor. Um, I went to my um, gynecologist. And she just said, you know, I'm not really sure. I mean, I'm just being real bald with y'all. I, my period was not normal. I didn't ovulate normal. Nothing was normal. And she said, if y'all want kids, you probably don't want to wait. I don't know what it's going to look like, but you probably don't want to wait. And I was like, well, Chris has kind of had some headaches. And I'm at this point, let me back up. He had changed jobs and he was working um, with air filter. He was selling air filters at this point. He wanted to get into sales. He really wanted to get into medical sales, but God took him to that. He had changed jobs the week we got married. So he was, that was great. But um, that's kind of where he was now. So he was no longer an athletic trainer. Um, but I thought, okay, we really don't have the money we probably should. And, you know, but you're never ready to have kids. You're never, there's never a good time. And we knew we wanted to have them. So let's go for it. So I get pregnant with Wells and he's better. Chris is kind of better throughout those nine months and everything's kind of going great. And we have Wells and he's the cutest what he's singing. We think he's hard. We think he's hard. No. (laughs) Um, He, because he had to go on one of those glow worm lights, the Billy Rubin lights. We thought our life was over. Um, He's glowing and I'm crying because I can't touch him. And, you know, um, and he didn't sleep through the night till five or six months. And I thought again, you know, this is terrible. He's this terribly hard baby. Um, well, at five months, I told Chris, I said, you know, I, I had this dream last night, and it was the most bizarre dream. I was holding this little girl, and Wells was walking around, and we both laughed. And I was like, but it was, like, really vivid. I mean, it was really vivid. And he said, well, there's no way unless it's not mine. And I was like, well, I mean, I've had this. I mean, I'm serious. Like, I've had this dream. So we... Um, he comes home at 945. He works with my dad at this point, by the way. When we were pregnant with Wells, we changed jobs again. That was good. I had Wells in that week. He changed jobs. But at this point, he's working with my dad, which is awesome. And, he, and that's the Canfield Far job where he sold filters kind of led him straight to where he was with my dad. Um, my dad's in environmental sales and their manufacturer's reps. So it's kind of a hard thing to understand. But this fed right into it. Um, and so I said... I really need you to leave. Like, I, I, I really kind of think this is a real thing. I don't know why. So he leaves the office. He goes and gets a pregnancy test. He brings it home. And I'm like, you can't take it. You have to take it first thing in the morning or it's not going to work. So I'm like, I'm leaving it there till tomorrow morning. Well, of course, I'm not going to leave it there. But he leaves. And so I I take the test. And, y'all, it's, like, immediate. It is immediate. And I'm going, I'm, what if I have twins? My son is six months old. What if, what if, what if, what if? So I call him bawling. He's laughing hysterically. I'm like, get out of the office. Dad can't know right now. Just get out of the office. <laughs> so he goes downstairs. And he's like, you're pregnant, aren't you? And I was like, yes. He's like, are you sure it's mine? Yeah. I mean, it's the postman. <laughs> like, you know, it's yours. Maybe you don't remember because I don't either, but it's yours. It's totally your baby. So um, we, by about three months, I'm not kidding. I could not get past it. Y'all, I just, I, it was like, I know I should be so thankful, but this was not my plan. And that's kind of my story all the way through from the beginning too, is nothing has been my plan. Nothing. Um, so Claire comes into the world. Uh, well, let me tell you this first because this is pretty funny. So, you know, we're in the day and age now of the party poppers and the big reveal and the big party and everybody's going to share. Well, I'm like, there's really no way to tell people that I have a six-month-old and I'm pregnant again. There's just not. So, and I'm crying. So, what did I do? There was an index card sitting on the counter. Great. I wrote, I'm going to be a big brother. Stuck it straight on Wells. Put him in the stroller. Put him in these glasses that I thought might make him look like three months older at least. <laughs> Took a picture. Posted it to Facebook. And away I went. And I can't tell you the amount of laughter, phone calls of like, are you serious? Like, that's how you told the world. And I did tell some of our very best friends and family. Cried to my parents telling them as they're kind of laughing like, you're going to survive. It's going to be okay. Um, 
but that's how we told. And that was kind of the story of our whole, Claire came with a bang, and, and she's continued with a bang. Um, she, when she came, she was colic for 10 months. Um, it was what I thought, okay, God, this is it. This is going to be the hardest time of our lives. There's no doubt about it. Y'all, she cried. All day, all night. We would take turns. We put a mattress in her room, and Chris would stay in there from 10 to 2, and I would go in there from 2 to 6. And that was 10 months. And he would say, like, I love you. I love Wells, but I don't even want to come home. Because he knew when he came home, I was tossing Claire to him. And he knew what our night looked like. It was going to be no sleep. It was going to be brutal. And this is, you know, and Claire's, I mean, my mom was Wells' best friend. She'd just come grab him every morning. They'd go get pumpkins. They'd go to the store, whatever. I mean, here's Gay Gay. And she was, well, he, she was Wells' best friend. Um, so that I could survive and rest to some degree if Claire would rest. And y'all, it was like she knew how hard she was. She would just smile at me, like, in the midst of me wanting to just... <laughs> Um, but that was 10 months. And so, of course, his headaches started coming back and the stress of all that. And we just knew it's just the stress of having a baby. I mean, this is the stress of a baby with colic. There's nothing to this. this that's what these headaches are. So, but it was frequent. It was pretty frequent. Well, then she's, she gets to be 18 months. He's a little bit over two and a half. And all of a sudden, the headaches turn to neck, back, shoulders, pain. I mean, head down, just to the point where sometimes he, if he drove too much, he couldn't move. And we were like, this is beyond stress. This is, there's something wrong. And I can remember Claire being 18 months old. And she's, I mean, and again, I love my Claire Baird to no end. But Wells is my sweet one who has the sweet compassionate heart and she's really my spitfire so but I can remember at 18 months he was laying on this contraption to give him relief and she's singing the Lord's Prayer ever said and I didn't ask her to you know and and I can look back and go that's God giving her mercy at 18 months old so um and we have video of it so it's fun to see um so we went to the doctor um we went to several doctors And at this point, I'm pleading, like, God, was her colic not enough? Like, that almost took me to Bryce. That was going to take me to the mental institution. I don't think we need anything else. Um, But his, I mean, it just became, it was so, it was so constant. And his headaches were so, and it was just so debilitating. So we finally, you know, everybody wants to tell you, and we so appreciate it. Everybody wants to tell you how they can help, things that they've heard. We finally find this doctor, Dr. Hadley, who's at the Kirkland Clinic. And he immediately says, you have a tethered spine. And we're like, what? I mean, within seconds. We've been to so many doctors. We've been through every medicine you can possibly imagine. And a tethered spine is basically when it looks like a cobweb on the bottom of your spine. It's things were connected. And now nowadays we can find them on babies, and they would do the surgery or do whatever needed to be done in the NICU. And, it, and you would never even, it's not even that huge of a deal. But as an adult, it's on the spinal cord, okay? So it's, they said, picture it as a rubber band that's stretched as far as you can pull it. And without popping. And that's what's going on in his back. So it's like this ultra shock waves of pain all the time, all the way up. So he said, I'm not God, but I'm God in the ER. We're going to fix this. And I was like, okay, great. I believe you. Um, we got the surgery and they clipped it. And y'all the next day, Chris was like, I don't feel any more pain. That's what it was. I mean, it was immediate, no headache, no back pain, no neck pain. It was just immediate. Um, And we were like, okay, thank you, God. All my pleading, all my begging work. Like, at this point, I was like, I will do whatever. We will go to Africa. Just heal him and let us, like, no more pain. No more. Um, And we were really good after that for a while. And God 
really put on my heart when they were about three and four to go back and get my master's because that's good timing, right? When you have a three and a four year old to go back to school. And I never wanted to go back to school ever. I wasn't going to go back to teach. So why did it matter, right? So I went to this conference for a gift of conference. My mother in law taught gifted in Mountain Brook. And um, I went to the McQueen Center. And that whole time I was there, I just felt this like God saying, like, you might really be made for this. No, no, I'm not. And I would tell everybody, like, I'm smiling at this conference because all these teachers are trying to battle through their units and battle through their doing, and I'm just smiling like, I'm going back home, see y'all. Um, but I talked to the professor from Sanford at McQueen Center, and, and I just, I talked to her for a while, and I thought, I love this lady. Like, if I am going to go back to school, she's who I want to go back with. And sure enough, I don't even know why I sign up. And I'm like, God, what am I doing? We don't even have the money to do this. What am I doing? And I'm not going to pay it back because I'm not going to use it. So I'm going. Well, I got it. Went and got a master's. It took, it was 33 hours worth of work. Um, it was worth every bit. It was phenomenal. And the whole time I'm there, Chris is sort of doing better. And he's able to handle the kids, thank the Lord, and do all their baseball and do all the activities and everything. Because I was, my classes were on the weekends. I mean, that's what you do, adult masters. So um, he was really doing okay. And at this time, Homewood called my professor and talked to some people and said, we need a gifted teacher for just one day a week. Well, they were like, Dana, I know you said you really didn't want to work, but your hours would be eight to one. Your kids are in preschool. You could get them. And I was like, I can do anything one day a week. And I got this master's. That's great. I can use it. And I can pay off what I paid for like seven years. It'll take me seven years to do it. But if I'm one day a week, that's perfect. Like, this is the cush job. Of course I'll do it. Um, well, it was an amazing place to be. I loved Homewood. I loved Edgewood. I was at Edgewood. Um, and I loved the people I was around. I loved the people I was surrounded by. And Chris kind of, throughout that time, everything was still kind of going well. Well, my second year at Homewood, things just started to go down again. And he was throwing up all the time. I mean, y'all, he would sneeze and, like, throw up. And I thought, what? I mean, his immune system was obviously shot from the time he was little. We have no idea. We still, we have no idea what it is. But he's got a very weak immune system. So most people, you get in a little bit of pain. Like, you scratch your knee, you put on a Band-Aid. He would throw up. And I'm not kidding. Every single time. And I can look back. Actually, when I was planning all this, I was looking back at all these um a bunch of our scrapbooks because I was so good about Shutterfly books and not three years ago I've stopped that I need to get back but I could look at all these books and there's so many holidays where he's not in the pictures and three years of birthdays he's not in the picture and I was bitter but I was going to smile and I was going to take my kids you know what I did I took my kids to treetop on my birthday at my choice what was I thinking I mean but I was going to smile and we were going to be happy and we were going to have fun um despite him not being there and I was trying not to resent him but of course I was resenting him um because this is not my plan. Again, this is the theme of the whole thing. I'm pleading. I'm like, God, here we go again. Like, what is the deal? And he's throwing up and he's throwing up and he's getting headaches. And it's not all the time, but it's like two or three times a week and most weekends. Well, when do you do things with your family? On the weekends. Um, so this is the second year at Homewood. We still can't figure it out. We can't figure out what's going on. And even if he was at holidays, he was in the bed. He was either downstairs thrown up or upstairs or and so uh, the kids I mean they're just used to it at this point and we're very honest and daddy's just thrown up again or he has a headache again and I've felt like the more honest I was with them the less anxiety they were going to have of thinking like what's really wrong with him and mommy's not telling us so um there, that goes into play well during that second year at Homewood, y'all, I start getting calls from, there were five schools that called me to see if I would come interview for gifted positions at their schools. 
if you're a teacher, you know, like schools don't call you. That just doesn't happen. And this is not a pat on my back. It's because there's not many gifted teachers in the world that have a certificate. But I got five phone calls from different schools and I would laugh I'm like, nope, I'm in heaven. I'm teaching one or two days a week. Thanks, though. Go find somebody else. Um, but with each one, it was like one more prick at my heart, one more prick at my heart. But it was me shoving away like there is no way. Um, the fifth call came in the summer and it was a school that I probably would have really enjoyed being at. But I, and I, that's when I really prayed over and thought before I said no, but it was a big no. And Chris was like, well, what are you going to keep doing with these people? Do you think at some point you'll want to do it full time? And I said, you know, I really don't think so. But if East or West calls, that's kind of a dream job because I went to East. We live right here. We're two seconds from West. It just goes to third grade. The gifted world, we only teach third grade and up. So I'm like, this would be bliss because I can do stuff with second grade and I can teach the third grade and, and that will be awesome. But I knew in my head, East and West had both just recently hired someone. So I could say that and have no problem because they were going to be there forever. And the people that had been there before them had been there both like 30 years at East and West had been there forever. Rowena McNabb was at East and Brenda Oakley was at West, if any of y'all had older kids. Um, so these new people came into both schools, so it was no problem. A week before, my Claire was about to start school, and y'all, I was freedom. I mean, I was like doing backflips off diving boards. Claire was about to go to school. I loved them so much, but I was so ready to have my first year of everybody's in school. You know, no more lunch bunch. Like, I really get eight to three. This is going to happen. And I... I was just, I'd already planned, like y'all had formed a little tennis group, like I couldn't wait, I'd, I had a Thursday morning and they're here, all, all of them, there was a group of, a couple of us that were going to be an accountability group together on Thursday mornings, I mean I had like every day ready to go. So a week before school starts, Kim Hauser calls me, and she says, um, and this is on my answer machine, I'm just going to shoot you straight, our gifted teacher just moved to Arkansas and I really need you to come interview. Well I had babysat Kim's boys growing up, so she knew me personally, um, so I was like, well this will be easy, I can tell her no, it won't be a problem. So I called her back, and I'm like, I really appreciate it. Like, you have no idea. This has been the weirdest summer in a year. I've had so many phone calls, but I just know that this is where, you know, I, I'm so sorry. I love you, and I, I've even said East and West would be my dream job, but I'm not going to do it. She's like, well, I need you just to not tell me no, and I need you just to pray over it, and I'm going to have some people call you to just talk to you about what the job's going to entail. Well, Brenda calls me, who'd been at West for forever, and Brenda was also at that McWayne Center conference when I mysteriously decided to go get my master's in this, and she said... I can't tell you how much I loved West. She said it was family and it was so great. And she said, the whole time I was at that conference in McQueen with you, I prayed that you would one day be at West. Well, y'all, she had no idea because she didn't know who was coming after her. She knew she was retiring in a year. And she said, I thought you'd be the next job. So when that girl took it, I was like, okay. She said, I, she said no pressure, but I kind of feel like it's your job. <laughs> so no pressure. I say, okay, Chris, I guess I'm taking this thing. So I call Kim back. I go interview. She sells me. Alicia Hunsberger is the assistant principal. If y'all know her, she's now at Gobble Heights. She's amazing. Between the two of them, I was like, this is golden. I couldn't work for two better people. I couldn't be in a better school. Um, so I took that job. We all, that year, oh my gracious, those first nine weeks, I cried every night. I told Chris I'd made the biggest mistake of my life. Um, and it was me, it was the it was the woe is me, it was the pity in me um, that I wasn't getting to do what all my friends were doing. I'm watching my friends go to their comedy groups, go play tennis, go to the Bible studies, and I'm taking all my stuff to school. And it was a year that was really hard. It was a very difficult, weird year um, where I came in and nobody was placed yet. And that doesn't happen. It happens the year before. I don't know any kids. And I'm having to deal with a lot of parent emails that I don't know. A lot of kids I don't know. And I'm like, I've totally not followed God's call for my life. I just haven't. And as I'm so upset, what does it do to Chris? He spirals. And his headaches are back with a vengeance. Um, and the stomachs. And I'm like, this is because of me. This is me bringing more stress on him. I've got to calm down. 
I get through that year, and I say get through because it was really getting through. Now, I love my children to know in, and if any of you had children in there that year, you know, I love them dearly. But it just what I just felt like I'd missed my call. I wasn't supposed to do this. Um, and towards the end of the year, I started to make those friends. You know how you just need your people at work? Like, you just need that. Well, I was in a job with Gifted. I wasn't on a team. You know, you have a kindergarten team, a first grade team, a second grade team, third grade team. I wasn't on a team. But... This school, I mean, y'all, the third grade teachers took me on. They invited me to every social event they had. Um, I became part of not just one team, every team. It was like I think everybody kind of felt sorry for me. They might see me like I tried not to cry. I put on a really brave face. (laughs) But everybody was like, you want to come with us? Do you want to go to get yogurt? Um, So I kind of became best friends with everybody that year towards the end. And and then I started to know, to go, you know, this is going to be okay. Um, And that year I left my kids at East. They, They had been going to East, and I left them there. And sweet Robin, they came to Robin's house every day after school. They walked home with her, um, 30 minutes. I would try to remember snacks. I didn't always do that. But they came home with her every day. This next year, when I knew I was going to go back to West, they came with me. Um, I just thought, I've got to, they've got to come with me. Like, I want them here with me. If I'm going to do this, we've got to make life easier. And I knew they'd love it. I loved it. But I think because I had gone to East, that was kind of my home base. That was them. I wasn't going to move them. This was, that was my plan. I went to East. They were going to go to East again. God says no. Um, took them with me. And y'all, it just couldn't have been a better a better switch for all of us. He, they kind of needed it too. I think change can be so hard, but I think change can be good. That second year was going so great. Everything was great. Chris was still getting the headache, stomach aches, but we were plugging. We were getting through. Um, January of that year, I am in charge of the spelling bee. So we had the spelling bee, and your phones has to be turned off. So I leave the spelling bee, and I turn on my phone, and there are a million texts. There's an ambulance in front of your house. Wells is crying at your neighbors. I have one for my neighbor. I don't know what's wrong with Chris, but he's on the floor. So I get home, and I call Robin. I'm like, I don't know if he's dead or alive, but can you just rush to my house? So we get there. She takes Claire. Wells is crying at my neighbors. He tells my neighbor Chris is dead. And I go um, I go in the house, and he's on a stretcher. And they said, he just fell. He hit the dresser. He's really dizzy and out of it, though. So I get in the ambulance, we go, and the whole way there, this guy who, y'all, I'd been on staff with his wife, with Crusade, and he's the guy driving the ambulance, and he doesn't know me, I have no idea who he is. And the whole time we're leaving, I'm just thinking, thank you, God, you know. So we get to the hospital, and he comes to, and we're told nothing. He has nothing. So it's just dizzy. He's just dizzy. He has, you know, some ear infections. That's all it is. I'm like, it's not ear infections. You know, we're not. This is not ear infections. But they gave him the medicine for it. They gave him the medicine for headaches. We continued down that path. Um, And we just kept plugging along. We were back to square one, but we were plugging along. I felt like every ER visit, and we had a lot. You guys, we had a lot. He also had pancreatitis within this time and had a knee surgery. and had It's like everything weird, he's had it, you guys. He's had it. So... We get in that car and we go home and and every time we had those ER visits, it would give him a little bit of life. I don't know if it's the IVs or if it was some kind of cocktail, whatever, put him on Mars in his mind. I don't care, but get him well. Um, With each time, though, it just kind of gave that extra oomph to keep going, although it wasn't healing him. And that was frustrating. So we get through summer, we get to summer, and I'm like, thank you, Lord. I just need summer to get here. I just need summer to get here. Like, I'm so ready to just relax with my kids and just have time with them and just be, well, Chris tells me first day of summer, I'm going to work from home this summer because I can't have the noise and the lights at the office, and I just want to 
to slap him. I'm going to be quite frank. I was like, you cannot be here. This is now my zone. You, this has been your zone for nine months. It's my turn. I mean, you know, you just want the house to yourself sometimes. And I knew my kids were going to be in camps and I knew I love him so dearly, but I wanted space. I just wanted to listen to worship music. He does not like it. He likes Pearl Jam, by the way, (laughs) worship music. We do not listen to the same thing. So I was like, I can't, I can't, I can't do this. Like, you're going to have to go somewhere. You can find another spot. Like, I'll lock you in a closet at work, but we can't, we can't do this. Um, but he needed to be home, y'all. And so I had to get over myself. Again, that's not my plan. Get over myself, right? So the whole time I'm, I'm happy, mom. I'm smiling. I'm taking my kids over. We can go to get out because he needs quiet. But y'all, they're kids and it's summer and we want to have friends over, but we had to get out and we had to leave. So um, we leave, we leave, we leave, we go, we do. They go to every camp I can put them in, but then also want to be with them. So it's like this catch-22, but I can't spend any more money, so I don't know where to take them. So um, we get to the end of summer, and we did a mission trip last summer to Lighthouse. Lighthouse is an awesome, awesome ministry. They cater to families with kids who have cancer. And you go to the beach, and somebody's like, yeah, you're going on a mission trip to the beach. That sounds, mm-hmm. It is awesome. It's a first time for these families to just be able to be a family and have joy and have hope in the midst of their heart. And Wells heard about it at our VBS and he was sold. He was ready to go. And y'all Wells, I don't know what he's going to do with his life, but it's going to be big. It's going to be big. So we, um, we get to the mission trip and it was so great. But I, before we went, I told God, I said, okay, God, there's no way you're going to send us on this mission trip. And Chris is going to be sick. You just wouldn't do that. You wouldn't do that. Cause you need him to serve. You need him, right? God needs us, Danny. Um, no, he actually doesn't need us at all. Um, but I thought, there's no way we're going to be able to do this. We're going to be able to serve. And it's going to be awesome. And it's going to be life-changing. And this is our breaking point. We go on the mission trip, and he's out of the bed like three days out of the week. And he's in a condo. And when you're on this mission trip, I mean, it's a mission trip. So you're, we're not just with our family in a condo. We're with another family serving that we did not know. Um, and I'm having to tell them, like, y'all, I'm so sorry. He's not a weirdo. He's not, like, dosing himself up. He has headaches, and he's going to be in the bed a lot. Um, and they were precious. they become dear friends of ours. Um, but they were like, no big deal. We got this. And y'all, usually when you live with people and you're with a family, they put you with adults. Well, God put us with a 15-year-old girl who was like a sister to my kids that whole week. When I was tired, she took them. She just took them. Um, and they adored her. So, and that week was so good because Chris could see too, y'all, for the first time, he saw these kids living that were living in hard. Um, the times that he was just so tired of it, he was watching these kids who have dealt with cancer and some of these kids multiple times of cancer who are living it up at the beach and they are finding joy in whatever scrap of time they had that they felt good. They did it. And I think it did so much for his soul and mine and our kids. You know, we were able to really sit down and say, look at their heart. We've had heart with daddy. Look at this heart. Some of these families have already had a kid die and they have another kid with cancer right here. And, and that was our first time to really talk to the kids about life is hard. God promises us brokenness. He promises us suffering, but he doesn't leave us. And so they were able to see that. Um, And Chris was able to see that. And it was so life-changing for all of us in so many ways. But again, I'm pleading like, okay, God, we've done this. Like, I know you don't need us and I know we're not serving to make him better, but like, surely he'll be better. Not better. So we come home and y'all go back to school. I'm just exhausted. You know, I know you as parents, I see the pictures of the wine glasses and they're like jumping in the air when you drop your kids off for the first day of school, right? Okay, well, and as teachers, I'll be honest, like a lot of us are, oh, we have one more week. It's almost the end of summer. 
but we're ready. It's the fresh pencils. It's the fresh, it's the new room. It's the new kids. Like even if we're loathing that we don't have our freedom anymore, we're so excited to have our kids. And there's so much truth to that. But I just went back exhausted. I was not ready. I'd had an exhausting summer and I just wasn't ready. So I went back to school and the poor front office, again, they're my people, y'all. They are my people. Um, Kim and Susan, now it's Susan McCall's our assistant principal. They just love me and they love me well. And at any time I need anything, they're there. Um, and there's two, there's three ladies that work in the front office and any break I get, I'm like hauling it up there. Cause I just want to sit in their presence. You know, I just want to sit there and, and they just love on me and they can say, oh, I mean, they could be telling a joke, but they can make me cry. Cause they're just so sweet and they love on me and they love the Lord and they know how to direct me there and they can let's dry it up, but I'm going to give you a big hug and this is going to be good. You go tackle that second hour. You know, it's like, I just needed a little bit of breath for the next hour. Um, so that's how the school year started. And this whole fall, it was the best year I've had so far. Kid-wise, I was in my groove. I was in year three. Um, it was really, really good. And I kept telling people, y'all, this is the best year I've had at school. And praise God, because it was not at home. And it was my saving grace. What I once thought was this huge mistake that I'd taken this teaching job was now my lifeline. These were my people. So... Um, we get this year, last year, we get to February, and I'm going to backtrack a little bit. Last February, this is the biggest part of the story, and I've missed it. Sorry, I'm going backwards. Last February, Chris got hit with a huge gate um, on a job site. Now, he had on a hard hat, but it was one of those, like, massive power plant metal gates, and it swung forward, and the momentum shift swung back and knocked him square right here, and it cracked his hard hat. I mean, that's how hard it hit. Think of a hard hat. It cracked it just completely in two. So he called me and he said, I I just blacked out and I have a concussion. I'm going home. No empathy me from eight years of dealing with sickness was like, okay, we'll go rest. So nice. I'm so kind. So loving. Um, But I realized when I get home, like, okay, yeah, he really got knocked out. Like he really got hit hard. And that week he really couldn't do anything. And y'all, it was scary because he was forgetting things. He, we were, I was taking him to the doctor. He couldn't remember our last name. He couldn't remember his birthday. Um, and I thought, yeah, this is a lot bigger than what we know, but I'm like, okay, how is this going to play into everything else? That's what took me to the drudgery of this summer, by the way, and the starting of the school. And I can't believe I missed that point. But there you go. So that's what made the start of school so hard and summer so hard. So we get to fall, and he, I mean, nothing's changing. Nothing's happening. He has, the concussion has kind of taken over. And it was, the concussion was kind of the icing on the cake to all of this. It was the, it was solidifying. Like it was like, take every illness he's ever had. And this concussion just swallowed him a hole and everything's coming out. I mean, I don't know any other way to describe it other than, okay, like I don't even, we don't even know what to do. No doctor could tell us anything. Y'all we'd ruled out every type of cancer, every type of tumor, every time. Cause I'm thinking surely there's something else with this concussion. I've seen people with concussions. It can't be this bad. Well, it's pretty bad. I mean, I started researching and doing my own stuff, but we couldn't find the right doctor. Nobody. And not that they weren't trying, but you're kind of a number after a while. Um, so 
we finally found this doctor that people told us about, Dr. Green, who's in Montgomery, and he loved the Lord. And the minute I walked in there, I just felt this peace, like this is where we're supposed to be. He cared about him as a person. He was not a number. He took us straight in. I mean, his nurses are patting my back. They're loving on us. It ends up that his son is Hamp Green, who is a pastor at Church of the Highlands. I had do none of this. Um, and so he was really our lifeline too, just of like hope. We just had hope that like, he's going to fix Chris no matter what he's going to fix him. He's going to get to the point where he makes him better. I had full hope that this was, we found the right guy. Um, so we go to him, he does a couple of Botox treatments, nothing really works. Um, then he gets this piercing. Okay. I don't know if y'all have heard of a daith piercing, but it is a piercing right here. And it's kind of acts like a permanent acupuncture. So if your headaches are here, you'd get this set. You know, if the cluster's up here, you get this set. If you don't know where your headaches are, you get them on both sides. And people had told us about it for a long time, but I'm like, Chris wears mountain khaki every day. Um, I don't think he's going to go for a piercing, like no matter where it is. And I would tell him and he's like, I I am not getting a piercing. He's very prepster. Okay. So he's, I'm not, I'm not getting a piercing. I'm like, well, if you can do a piercing over medicine your whole life, and what if it works? Well, y'all, he was so tired of the what ifs. When you've been in pain for so long and nothing's working, it's like, so what? It's not going to work, right? So I had to fight for him. I had to, that's where your partner, that's in a marriage where I had to fight for him and go, you may be done. I'm not done. We're going to get this piercing. Um, Finally, he agrees to get it, and he takes one of our very dear friends who is fighting their own battle right now with their child with cancer. This guy is in the heat of his story. He goes and takes Chris to Cloud Nine downtown and gets him this piercing, and they said it was the cleanest, best experience ever. He's like, the guy said, Dana, I just can't get over it. Chris is like, we are taking Claire when she gets her ears pierced. She's going <laughs> to... She is going, and y'all, we will be at Cloud Nine. You wait for that picture. We will be there. Um, she, she might just want a tattoo while she's there because that's Claire. She'll probably want one, but she's not getting one. Um, <laughs> but that is where we were taking her. So he gets this piercing, and we finally have a little bit of hope there. Um, in the meantime, our elders know that I'm at the most broken place I've ever been at. They can see it because they asked me at church how I'm doing, and I can't, like, smile anymore. I just cry. So we have some of the sweetest touches. I go to Mount Brook Community Church. And one guy will just walk me through the halls. Like, it was the whole service. And um, I was helping a friend's little boy. And he just walked with me the whole hour and prayed and talked. And he went through his own heart and cried with me. And he said, can we just pray over you? Can we have the elders pray over your family? And I was like, oh, absolutely. And Chris and I had gone before. But he said, we want your kids there. And I was thinking, okay, well, I mean, we're as honest as it gets. We have told them every step of the way what's going on with Daddy. Um, So we'll bring him. Well, they told them while we were there. Our pastor, not only did he pray, I mean, he put oils on Chris. It was everything biblical you've ever seen that could make a kid be like, this is a little weird. And they loved it. He spoke directly to my kids. He opened scripture and he, it was like a kid service while he was praying over all of us. And I'm telling y'all, I was really at the deepest, darkest point I've ever been. I've never been one that thought I would ever be depressed. And I can, I mean, I'm, I'm just, I've always been here. My personality has been here. I'm very social. Like I don't, if I'm depressed, it was when Claire had call it. It ain't now. Um, but I was at that point. So they said, you know, when they prayed over me, I was like, we left and I just felt rejuvenated. We'd had the mission trip. They had prayed over us. I had all these teachers at school loving on us. He's going to get this piercing. It was, this was before. Um, and we're going to do it. So we ended up going to the beach last minute. And those of y'all who know me, I'm like a major couponer. I do not spend money. I just don't unless it's planned. Okay. Cause I plan, right? Everything in my life's planned. So I call his mom and I'm like, do you, is the beach place open? Well, they always have snowbirds, but 
this was the one year they weren't going to have the snowbirds because they had a leak and they had something wrong with the place that we were able to go free for that Columbus Day weekend. Well, y'all, that's when that tornado was coming to Panama City. I didn't care. Take us away. Take us all together. We're going. (laughs) So Jesus can take us home. We're ready. Um, So we went. I mean, everybody's worried. I'm like, I'm not worried. That's the least of my worries. (laughs) So so we go. And y'all, the first thing I do when I get there, and again, this is when Chris was like, maybe you have the problem and you need to go get help. Because I said, we're going to go swim with dolphins tomorrow. And he's like, do what? I was like, yep, we're all going to swim with dolphins. If you don't want to do it, you can just take all the videos you want. But I've always wanted to swim with one. We're going to go swim with dolphins. He's like, you've lost your mind. I was like, nope, I found a coupon online. There's a deal because it's October. (laughs) And it was October. So we went. The kids and I, we swam with dolphins. And y'all, we had the time of our lives. There's this little place. If you didn't know, go check it out. Forget the name. Something World in Panama City. I don't know. It was great. It was clean. It was awesome. Those dolphins were like our best friends. I mean, poor things. I was like loving on them. It was like therapeutic for me. (laughs) Wells and Claire were talking to these dolphins. I mean, it was like we all just needed it. And Chris is taking videos and he's kind of yelling and it was hilarious. We were like a family that just been let out of a cage. Um, We, I mean, it was, it was pouring and wind is swirling and we're walking on Pier Park like it's 80 degrees and gorgeous. And we were, and I was like, just hold my hand real tight. And Wells was like, I'm kind of scared. Like, I said, it doesn't matter. Hold my hand. We're going, brother. We're going. Um, so we got back from the beach and it was, we get at the beach Karen Blair had given me a book called When God Doesn't Fix It by Laura's Story. And I don't know if you've ever read it. Go get it today. Um, but it's all about her story. And she had given it to me months ago when I was in despair. But it was like I was so mad at that time. I didn't even want to pick up a book. I didn't want to read it. I don't need anybody to tell me how to get help. I don't, I don't need that. I have God. I don't need anybody else. So she gave me When God Doesn't Sp- Fix It. And I read it when we were at the beach. And it was a life-changing book. I mean, it was as if scales physically and literally fell from my eyes as I read that book. And Laura's story is, I want to say, so much worse than mine. You can compare yourself all day long. When you're in hard, you're in hard, right? Well, her story is all about the same thing with her husband. He had a tumor and 18 months in, and I'm not going to give it away because I just want you to read it. But long story short is to get past her bitterness, she had to realize this was her story. And this is where God had her in her story. And she couldn't wait for that happy ending. She couldn't wait for that sad ending if he was going to die to just keep going. She had to live where she was. Um, And it was as if God said, this is you. It's your time. Jump out of your pit. Fight for your husband when he doesn't feel like fighting. And and love me well. And and this is your time. And you're going to share your story when it's hard and when it's raw. And I called Robin and I said, okay, I mean, guys told me to share my story. She's like, great, you're going to do storytellers then as soon as we get back. <laughs> but it was... It was such a moment of clarity of like, I think we are totally allowed to grieve. We're totally allowed to be sad. But it was like I'd been through that and God was saying, get out. It's time. It's time for you to continue to teach your kids that life is hard and they were struggling, but teach them my truths in it. And it was that time. So after I read that book, I started writing some things down just to prove that God had been there the whole time when I thought God wasn't there. Um, And these are the things, I mean, y'all, I wrote and I wrote and I wrote and I couldn't stop writing. And I thought, God has been so good this whole time. And I have shoved him down and I have blanked him out for a little while because even though I'm praying, I was, I was blah. I mean, I wasn't 
wasn't there. Um, and I'm praying for Chris and I'm smiling. I have no empathy. I, I was over it. He was hurting and I couldn't give him what he could. Well, I couldn't give him anything because he wasn't giving me anything. And there was my selfishness. I couldn't give it to him. I could not give him the love and the empathy he needed because he could not meet my needs. And there's my selfishness and there's my gross sin that God had to go, I need you to step back and I need you to look at where I am in your story. And I need you to see how good I am. And I need you to tell your kids. So when the scales fell off and I started making my list, these are just the biggies I'm going to share with y'all. Um, I saw that God had given both Wells and Claire such compassion. I mean, she's a spitfire. I've said it a million times, but he gave her compassion and he gave Wells such compassion. Um, and you have to have those things. I mean, they all, he also gave them the ability to talk. Wells is a talker. If you know him, he is a talker. I mean, teachers laugh. He has a 50-year-old soul. So he's able to share with me every feeling he has to the point of, Mommy, I've been mad at you because I feel like you've been leaving Daddy for a year, and I'm so sorry. Daddy and I just talked, and I realized that you've been leaving so he could have quiet. But I've been mad at you this whole year, and I'm so sorry. I love you so much. He's nine, you know? And then he asked the hard questions of, does God just not have time to heal everybody? Or is he doing this so that we can learn to serve and love when things are hard? I said, you nailed it. You nailed it. And I don't know why he picked us, but he did. And we're going to live in it, buddy. We're going to love. We're going to love daddy. We're going to serve daddy. We're going to love people. And you nailed it. You know, we don't know why God chooses certain people to heal and not. But he is so good. And, you know, it took me to so much truth. And so much scripture. And instead of feeling like this isn't fair, y'all, the theology, I mean, discussions I've had with my son, who's not as amazing. Claire and I have talked about it and she's still a little bit like not really sure where she is with all of it, but she hears me and she talks about it and she does her sweet devotion and she props up, okay, mom, now it's prayer time, so close your eyes. You know, as well as like deep in his Bible, like getting it all. She's, this is glimmer and shine and we're going to read our story, but God's working in her and he's working in him. And so I got to see how he'd been doing that the whole time. He made them that way. I did not make them that way. My kids, Robin and my mom and I laugh. Y'all, they couldn't be any more different from Chris and me. Could not. We are like sporty mixed force. We love everything on TV, ESPN. My kids could care less. Both of them. Both of them. Um, But he created them the way he needed to create them. And I was able to see that he did that from a young age because he knew what was coming. And he needed, we all needed to know how to handle this. Um, the timing of grad school, when they're three and four, and I have a live presentation. I don't know if you've been back to school lately, but y'all, everything's technology. So we have a blackboard. I'm having to give my presentations in my room with the door closed. Better, my dog is barking. Mom's knocking on the door, and I'm like, hey, y'all, just keep listening to my presentation. Don't worry. That's just there. Um, the timing was perfect. The homewood job was perfect. I got my feet wet before I went into this job. As I'm thinking, this is my this is my life. I'm going to work at Homewood one day a week. Like, what teacher gets to do that? I have found it. I've arrived. No, it was just preparing me for something later. But I was able to see the perfect timing of that. And I could go to grad school that year because Chris wasn't having a bad year that year. Um, I was able to see that my ministry may not be in accountability groups and homes. And it may not be at my church like I wanted it to be. And it may not be on the tennis courts. And it may not be. But my ministry was in my classroom. And my ministry was with my teachers. And they have, like I said, I can't tell you enough how much of a lifeline they've been. And I love my kids. I love my kids I teach. They're so cool. Um, 
I was able to see God's hands and feet of the church. I was able to show the kids as they brought me meals, as they're serving me, as they're praying over me, as they're crying with us. The kids could see that, and they were able to see what the church truly is. Um, we had, I mean, y'all, I felt so bad. We've had so many meals brought and so many things, and I was like, here we go again. I almost feel embarrassed opening the door. But there would just be people drop stuff off and not even tell me who it was. There's something at your door. Just go get it. Um, and we were able to just really show the kids again the hands and feet. Um, my job was a blessing. It was not the biggest mistake I'd made. It was the best decision I'd made. Um, And when those days, I just think, you know, when Chris is at home and things are so hard for him, I hate it for him. But I'm so thankful I get to go and be supported and talk to adults, right? Because if not, I would have felt bad coming to these accountability groups, going to play tennis while my husband's at home crying because he can't get well. Um, So it was just, it's perfect. Um, He had a mentor. There's a guy that he always looked up to. He thought he was the coolest thing since sliced bread from the time we entered church. And he'd asked this guy a long time ago to be his mentor. Well, he finally, it, the stars aligned. And this guy came to Chris and said, I'd love to just meet with you. I'd love to mentor you. Well, the coolest thing about this story is this guy's wife um, has been in major pain for seven years. She was in a very bad accident. And the timing of this was perfect because he could meet with Chris and he could tell him how I was feeling. And then his wife could talk to Chris, and they could relate. And we're in this club, this awful club of pain, (laughs) with such beautiful people. You don't ever want anybody to enter your club. But once we're in it, if you can have the people to do it with, it was unbelievable. Um, As a matter of fact, they sat with us for four hours yesterday. Um, And it was such a healing, beautiful thing. Um, As she's crying, talking to me, and as he's talking to me, and it's our story. I mean, we are living each other's lives. Um, And I saw this is the most important thing. I should have said this at the beginning. Chris is the funniest, sweetest, most gentle creature. Um, And he wanted to be the dad of all dads because he didn't have that. And he did not take up golf. He was not going to take up hunting because he was not going to miss a second with them. And I think a lot of that stems from him growing up, but it's also just who he is. I mean, he loves my sister's kids so much. He is, he is such a good dad. And so in my heart, as I'm thinking I'm being a single mom and he's being sick, y'all the whole time, I would wake up and I don't know who I thought did it, the fairy, but our laundry would be folded. Dishes would be put away because when he couldn't sleep and he was in pain, he's doing our laundry at 3 a.m. so that I wouldn't have to do it. Um, he was doing the dishes all along. I mean, we laugh. My poor dad's going to listen to this, but my dad doesn't do stuff like that. My mom can vouch. Um, I love my daddy. He is like my hero, but bless him. He doesn't own a toolbox, and he does not do the dishes. Um, and Chris was doing all he could possibly muster up to do, and I wasn't missing it because I was feeling so sorry for myself. Um and he was, he was doing that all along. And y'all, and another thing, he was getting up every morning, getting the kids ready for school so that I could just get myself ready. Everybody always asks, I don't know how you're a working mom. I don't know how you teach. I can barely get my kids out the door. How are you getting out the door? Because my husband's doing it. He's getting up. And even if it's a bar, he's getting them their breakfast. He's putting the ice packs. We have a whole system. I pack their lunches at night. He does everything in the morning to put the ice packs, to do the water bottles. I seriously don't worry about anything but myself when I'm getting out the door. And he's doing it all in major pain, major pain. Um, and, and so it just allowed me to fall in love with this new person. And that's something that his mentor really shared with me was it's no longer the person you thought you were going to marry. It's no longer the life you thought you were going to have. It's so much better. And, um, 
my friend of mine that's here, I won't say so it doesn't embarrass her, but a friend that's here is going through a hard time too. And she told me, she said, you know, I would never wish this upon my worst enemy to go through the pain that you have to go through to watch a child or a family member get sick. But don't you feel like we've been let in on the biggest secret ever of how to have your faith so deeply mm-hmm. and have that hope and joy that you shouldn't have? It's a secret that you nobody can feel unless you've been in a really dark place because God's the brightest in the dark. And I believe that. Um, and it's so true. So I was just able to see, like, and fall in love with who he was. Um, in a whole new way, the servant-hearted Chris, instead of the funny Chris that I thought I was marrying, he's he's not able to be funny right now. It's not funny when you're hurting, but he's this. It's a different version of love, and it's a different version of sacrifice that God is teaching me. Um, I went to Catherine J. Wolf a few weeks ago. They spoke at my church about hope heals. Again, if you haven't read it, go read it. Um, and there's tons of videos you can hear their story. She's going to be disabled for her entire life. Um, it's not changing. And she calls her wheelchair throne because she said it's her story. She no longer has to pretend. She no longer has to be the beautiful model, the perfect person on Facebook and Instagram, have the perfect life. She no longer has to have it together. And she said there's a beauty to that. And I'm able to see God in a way that no one else can really even grasp that he can do. Um, so I went to that. God continued to do the, tell that same story that Laura's story had shared, you know, in her book. Both stories were such a story of hope and joy in your story, in your raw. I promise you can find it. And that's, that is, I can keep going for days and I know my time is probably up. Am I okay? Or don't need to stop. I'll stop. Okay. Um, but basically, I just want to just want to finish up with this, is that God's light has been the brightest in the dark. He gives me enough light to keep going for that next day. He gives Chris enough to go that next day. Um, right now, we're in a place, he doesn't really want to go the next day. He's in a whole lot of pain. The earring was working, but we're kind of back to square one, and it's not working right now. Um, and he's he's in a dark place. But that's where I'm his partner, and I love him despite. I can't worry about how he treats me or what he's saying or what he's doing because God's called me to love him and serve him despite my feelings and get out of myself. And it's kind of a beautiful, weird place to be. I'm allowed to be mad and sad and have all those feelings. But then I have the strength to go on. I have the strength to love him and care for him when I should be in my own, in my mind, I should be feeling pity. Um, and the last thing I really want to share was just that it was a quote from Laura Story's book, is that our desires for God to fix broken things, but God's desires to fix our relationship with him. Um, so as I'm praying and pleading my entire story with God, he's going, but I've got so much better for you. And it may not be fun and it may not be easy, but you're going to grow and you're going to be a new person. So that's really where we are. And before we have, there's probably not even time for questions, sorry, but... I made a card that on the front um, is one of my favorite verses that we've lived with. Romans 12, 12, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. And that's the verse we've really lived by. And on the back, it just says, while our broken, circum- while our broken circumstances may not change, we can. And, and we can. And that's where we are. It may not change. It may not ever change. I pray for Chris that it changes. But I can change in the midst of it. My kids can change and I can fight for him so that he can change in the midst of it. So that's where we are. That's my story. Dana has been such an incredible example to me of a wife who is committed. When you take your wedding vows and you say, I will love you in sickness and in health, you don't ever anticipate a sickness or a disease or a health issue that is going to last 
months and years and sometimes for the rest of your partner's life. And so it's been a blessing for me just to see Chris and Dana uh, keep their marriage strong and keep their family strong and love each other so well, even when it's been really, really hard. What's awesome news is that since we recorded this podcast, Chris did get some answers from some doctors. God led them to some different doctors um, and medical specialists, and he has gotten some answers, and it's still going to be a path to healing, but we're just excited that they have some new steps, and it looks like there will be some help and some relief and some healing. So we're praising God for that. Don't forget to go to our website, storytellerslive.org, so you can download the free scripture card that Dana passed out at our local gathering. So we thank you for listening and join us again soon.